the divine agent of the Godhead. We have been warned that every wind of doctrine would be blowing within the Seventh-day Adventist Church as the end draws near. I have been amazed at the large number of letters addressed to me in the past six months questioning the doctrines of God's true church. Seldom a week goes by that some misguided soul sends me articles, pamphlets, and sometimes large books stating that there is no such doctrine of a trinity and that such a belief has been taken from the teachings of the papacy. There is no doubt in my mind that when Christ predicted in Mark 13.22 that false prophets shall arise to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect, that this is certainly taking place today. I believe it's time to re-examine this pillar of truth and settle this issue once and for all. A belief in the Holy Spirit is essential to our salvation, and we should become intimately acquainted with Him. As we approach this most important subject, let us first seek the counsel of our mighty God. Let us pray. Our loving Father, as we investigate the greatest mystery of heaven, open to us from thy holy word and the writings of thy last day prophet, the revealed truth regarding the personality of the Godhead. May such truth be so clearly understood that it will remain forever in our minds as the foundation of our faith and make possible our total surrender to the divine agent of the Godhead, that we may be sealed in the likeness of Christ, ready for heaven. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we begin, let us keep in mind the excellent counsel given to us by the servant of the Lord. Quote, the nature of the Holy Spirit is a mystery. Men cannot explain it because the Lord has not revealed it to them. Men, having fanciful views, may bring together passages of Scripture and put a human construction on them. But the acceptance of these views will not strengthen the church. Regarding such mysteries, which are too deep for human understanding, silence is golden. Acts of the Apostles, page 52. With such admonition, I'm sure we will feel the same as G.B. Thompson, who stated in his book, The Ministry of the Spirit, page 63, quote, I am aware that I should tread softly here. I am dealing with one whose nature is a mystery, where no fanciful views or human construction of Scripture should be given. I have no desire, nor do I deem it wise or profitable to seek to define or analyze the personality of either the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. When it comes to definitions, here silence is indeed golden. The Godhead is incomprehensible. Unquote. However, in the revealed Word of God, we find names 
applied to the Holy Spirit, that can only mean that the Holy Spirit is a person. There is also recorded definite acts which are attributed to him which only God could do. The Holy Spirit himself, through Ellen White, revealed himself as, and I quote, the third person of the Godhead. Testimonies to Ministers, page 392. With such a background of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, Seventh-day Adventists feel warranted in attributing both deity and personality to the Holy Spirit. Opening our Bibles to the fifth chapter of Acts, we read in verse 3 and 4, And Peter said, Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto me, but unto God. Acts 5, 3, and 4. From this, then, we can be safe in saying that the names God and the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost are the same and may be used interchangeably. The Holy Spirit is God, that is, one of the three that compose the Godhead, as we shall discover. Compare these two passages of Scripture. Quote, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 1 Corinthians 3.16 But in 1 Corinthians 6.19, the temple of God is called the temple of the Holy Ghost. Listen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Then in different portions of Scripture, we find three divine beings spoken of as being together, but also distinguished as three separate beings. Notice in this first passage that the article the is used in describing each. I quote, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 28:19. Now let us examine the experience of Jesus when he was baptized, as recorded in Matthew 3.16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. We also read in Luke 3.22, And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice, that is God's voice, the Father, came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Another passage of which we are well acquainted reads, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. John fourteen sixteen. These verses clearly teach of three separate beings 
in the Godhead. Even in the Old Testament, we find there too a trinity in that three separate lords are mentioned together. Numbers 6, 24 to 27, quote, They shall put my name upon the children of Israel. And it proceeds with the expansion, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Not four times, <clears throat> nor two, but three. Quote, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. We may therefore conclude that the Holy Spirit is separate from God the Father and Christ the Son. However, by this I do not wish to convey the idea that I believe in three separate gods. For while there are three beings, yet these three are so perfectly united that they form one God. Now I can hear you say, Brother Nelson, how is this possible? To this I may say it is one of the most difficult of Christian doctrines to explain and understand. Let me quote what Floyd E. Hamilton says. The definition given of this doctrine in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is as good a definition as any. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. What is meant by this definition is that the Christian God is one God, not three gods, but that in this single Godhead there are three equal persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit." End quote. There are other factors which prove the Holy Spirit to be divine, aside from being called a God and one of the three. Notice in the following that the Holy Spirit has divine attributes. One, he is the truth, John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he the truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, and he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Number two, the Holy Spirit can love. Romans 15, 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in prayer to God for me. The Holy Spirit has holiness. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Number four, the Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God. He is omnipresent, Psalms 139.7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Number six, he is omniscience, 1 Corinthians 2.10. 
but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. 7. He is omnipotent. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. And then the Holy Spirit also performs the works of God. Number one, he had a part in creation, Job 26, 13. By his Spirit he hath garnished the heavens, his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. And in Job 33, 4, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. 2. The Holy Spirit is able to cast out demons. Matthew 12, 28. Notice Christ said, If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. 3. He does the work of regeneration. John 3, 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And in Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 4. He does the works of providence, Psalms 104.30. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, and they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. 5. He has a part in the resurrection, Romans 8.11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, with all of these facts well in mind, let us now turn to a few well-pointed quotations from the pen of inspiration, the Spirit of Prophecy. In the first, we shall find the heavenly trio explained, quote, The Father is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and is invisible to mortal sight. The Son of God is all the fullness of the Godhead manifested. The Word of God declares him to be the express image of his person. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here is shown the personality of the Father. The Comforter that Christ promised to send after he ascended to heaven is the Spirit in all the fullness of the Godhead, making manifest the power of divine grace to all who receive and believe in Christ as a personal Savior. Now notice how she explains these three together. Quote, there are three living persons in the heavenly trio. 
in the name of these three great powers, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those who receive Christ by living faith are baptized, and these powers will cooperate with the obedient subjects of heaven in their efforts to have the new life in Christ. Testimonies, Series B, Number 7, page 62 and 63. In the great closing work, we shall meet with perplexities that we know not how to deal with. But let us not forget that the three great powers of heaven are working and that God will bring his promises to pass. Testimonies, Volume 8, page 254. Evil had been accumulating for centuries and could only be restrained and resisted by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy, but in the fullness of divine power. Testimonies to Ministers, page 392. Christ gave his representative, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Christ Triumphant, page 301, manuscript 44, 1898. The Godhead was stirred with pity for the race, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit gave themselves to work out the plan of redemption. Councils on Health, page 222. Christ made baptism the entrance to his spiritual kingdom. He made this a positive condition with which all must comply who wish to be acknowledged under the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1075. We need to realize that the Holy Spirit, who is as much a person as God is a person, is walking through these grounds. Evangelism, page 616. We are to cooperate with the three highest powers in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Special Testimonies, Series B, number 7, page 51. The prince of the power of evil can only be held in check by the power of God in the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Special Testimonies, Series A, number 10, page 37. There are three living persons in the heavenly trio. In the name of these three great powers, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, those who receive Christ by living faith are baptized. Evangelism, page 615. Out of these nine quotations, anyone who professes to believe in the spirit of prophecy must be convinced that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. To reject this plain teaching of the spirit of prophecy is to separate yourself from God's remnant. Now, 
There are some who admit that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead, but they will not accept him as an actual being, but rather believe the Holy Spirit to be some essence or influence. To such, consider the following. If we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will continually be, how can I get hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thoughts will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of and use me? Is there no difference between the thought of the worm using God to thrash the mountain or God using the worm to thrash the mountain?" Unquote. The Christian Layman, The Fundamentals, page 55. Now let us examine closely the following passages from Scripture. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, John 14, 26. And when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. John 15, 26. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. And if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. John 16, 7. From these texts, we gather some important facts. From the first two passages, we notice that the Spirit is capable of being sent by both the Father and the Son. And in the, la in the latter, we find that Christ will send the Holy Spirit, Christ being at that time on the earth, and the Holy Spirit being in heaven. The conclusion then could be that the Spirit is capable of going and coming, of being sent and staying away. Now, would this be true of an influence or an essence? I'm afraid not. An influence cannot be sent. There are two places in the Greek that bring out added thoughts showing that the nature of the Holy Spirit is a personal being. In John 14, 16, we find an excellent example. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Please turn the tape over. Meaning of another. One is spelled N-T-E-P-O-S, meaning another of a different kind. And then there is the word A-Y-A-L-L-O-V, meaning another of a similar kind. How fitting that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John used the latter, A-L-L-O-V, which shows definitely that Christ, when he spoke of the Spirit to come, he declares that the Spirit is another of a similar kind. In other words, 
another God, similar to Christ. In other places of the Holy Spirit is also given other terms. For example, the Spirit is likened unto the wind. See John 3, 1-10. But I believe that with the other proofs, one will readily agree that this has reference to the nature of his work. In other words, how he would go about doing it. True, we know there is a wind, but has anyone seen it? We only behold that which it accomplishes. I believe that it is through beholding the nature of his work that the real evidence of a personality is revealed. Let us also consider a few of his names used in the scripture that reveal him to be a person. He is called a comforter, John 14, 18. The eternal spirit, Hebrews 9, 14. The Holy Spirit, Psalms 51, 11. The free spirit, Psalms 51, 12. The good spirit, Nehemiah 9, 20. He is also capable of personal acts, such as he searches the heart, Roman 8.27. He makes intercession for us, Romans 8.27. He selected individuals, Acts 13.2. He forbade, Acts 16.6 and 7. He guides, John 16:13 He speaks John 16:13 He loves Romans 15:30 He witnesseth Acts 20:23 20, And notice that the Holy Spirit has in his possession an intelligence Nehemiah 9:20 a knowledge 1 Corinthians 2:11 a will 1 Corinthians 12, 11. A mind, Romans 8, 27. He can love, Romans 15, 30. He can hold communion, 2 Corinthians 13, 13. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4, 30. The Holy Spirit can be insulted and lied to, Hebrews 10, 29, Acts 5, 9, and Acts 5, 3 and 4. Now I quote, The Holy Spirit is Christ's representative, but divested of the personality of humanity and independent thereof. Cumbered with humanity, Christ could not be in every place personally. Therefore, it was for their interest that he should go to the Father and send the Spirit to be his successor on earth. No one could then have any advantage because of his location or his personal contact with Christ. By the Spirit, the Savior would be accessible to all. In this sense, he would be nearer to them then, if he had not ascended on high. Desire of Ages, page 669. True, this does prove why Christ sent the Holy Spirit to us who are fallen and need help. But it does not prove the theory of an influence, for it is through the Holy Spirit and the angels that this is done. Note the following, Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Psalms 54, 7. 
The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. We see in these passages that God, the Holy Ghost, uses his angels in being all present. Note the following, quote, The Bible shows us God in his high and holy place, not in a state of inactivity, not in silence and solitude, but surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of holy beings, all waiting to do his will. Through these messengers, he is in active communication with every part of his dominion. By his Spirit, he is everywhere present. Through the agency of his Spirit and his angels, he ministers to the children of men. That was taken from Ministry of Healing, page 417. Herein, then, we may explain the great work done on Pentecost by the Holy Spirit. He used the angels. Quote, Under the Holy Spirit's guidance, thousands were converted in a day. That's Pentecost. When the truth in its simplicity is lived in every place, then God will work through his angels as he worked on the day of Pentecost. Special Testimony, Series B, Volume 7, page 63. Thus, we can now catch a vision of the high and exalted position of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is in charge of the entire force of the angelic hosts as they do his bidding and in hastening of the return of Christ. Beloved, what a lofty position the Holy Spirit holds. We read further that he is the representative of the captain of the Lord's hosts. Speaking of his laborers, quote, they are to contend with supernatural forces, but they are assured of supernatural help. Praise God! All the intelligences of heaven are in this army, and more than angels are in the ranks. The Holy Spirit, the representative of the captain of the Lord's hosts, comes down to direct the battle. Our infirmities may be many, our sins and mistakes grievous, but the grace of God is for all who seek it with contrition. The power of omnipotence is enlisted in behalf of those who trust in God. What a promise! That is found in Desire of Ages, page 353. And note the following. Quote, Evil had been accumulating for centuries and could only be restrained and resisted by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy, but in the fullness of are you listening? It says, in the fullness of divine power. And then it goes on, another spirit must be met. For the essence of evil was working in all ways, and the submission of man to this satanic captivity was amazing. Testimonies to Ministers, page 392. Now let us study the phrase, another spirit must be met. Here we have the picture of Satan, 
the captain of the hosts of evil, in conflict with the mighty Holy Spirit, and with the hosts of unfallen angels. What a battle! It brings us again to the familiar text, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, Revelation 12, 7. But the war has not ceased. It has now become a real spiritual battle today. Instead of Christ, the leader now, his representative, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is now in charge, fighting for us, against the powers of darkness. O beloved, why then do we not as Adventists seek a greater need of having the Holy Spirit with us today? I'm quoting. The warfare is not to be waged against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. They are to contend with supernatural forces, but they are assured of supernatural help. All the intelligences of heaven are in this army, and more than angels are in the ranks. The Holy Spirit, the representative of the captain of the Lord's hosts, comes down to direct the battle. Our infirmities may be many, our sins and mistakes grievous, but the grace of God is for all who seek it with contrition. The power of omnipotence is enlisted in behalf of those who trust in God. Desire of Ages 3.5.2 The scripture tells us to be full of the Spirit, But how is this to be accomplished? The answer, by faith. Compare the following. The scripture says of Christ, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. John 15, 5. But now the question, does Christ abide in you personally? He does not. For we plainly know that the word teaches us that Christ is now in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary. How then, you ask, does Christ dwell with us? The answer is, by faith. Both Christ and his representative, the Holy Spirit, dwell in the heart by faith. I'm quoting. Those who see Christ in his true character and receive him into the heart have everlasting life. Now notice, it is through the Spirit that Christ dwells in us. And the Spirit of God received into the heart by faith is the beginning of life eternal. Desire of Ages, page 388. Again we read in this book how the union is formed. I'm quoting. By faith in him, as a personal savior, the union is formed. The sinner unites his weakness to Christ's strength, his emptiness to Christ's fullness, his frailty to Christ's enduring might. Then he has the mind of Christ. The humanity has touched our humanity, and our humanity has touched divinity. Thus, now think it through carefully, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, Man becomes a partaker of the divine nature. He is accepted in the beloved. 
Desire of Ages, page 675 and 676. And so, friend, through faith, we give Christ and the Holy Spirit our wills, and we become possessed with the Good Spirit. We become filled in the sense that our minds are now filled with truth, the Word of God. There is a conscious presence of a heavenly power abiding with us because the angels that surround us under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Our minds become quickened. The conscience becomes active and clear. Our faith deepens. We learn to commune with God. We are in constant touch with Him. We become so closely united to Him that our actions are prompted by His will. He actually abides with us through His angels. By faith, we abide in Him. It was thus that Enoch walked with God, daily reflecting more and more of God's image, daily following after His will. We too may walk with God until it may be said of us that we are one with God. Quote, As you empty the heart of self, you must accept the righteousness of Christ. If you open the door of the heart, Jesus will supply the vacuum by the gift of his Spirit. Review and Herald, February 25, 1892. Let us then pray God for power from on high to be released from the wiles of the Satan and to allow the Holy Spirit and his angels to direct our lives and praise God Dear beloved, they can do even more for us, for I quote from Prophets and Kings, page 591, while Satan has been urging his accusations, holy angels unseen have been passing to and fro, placing upon the faithful ones the seal of the living God. What a revelation! Does this not help us to understand how the Holy Spirit works? Soon, very soon, we shall be given the final test with a universal Sunday law. Each of us will have to give a personal answer. But in John 14:26, it states that the Holy Spirit shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. But this too is the work of angels. I'm quoting. Angels are round about those who are willing to be taught in divine things and in the time of great necessity they will bring to their remembrance the very truths which are needed. Thus when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. Great Controversy, page 600. Don't you want to join me in praising God for such a divine plan of help? A plan that never fails? Let us remember, quote, under God, the angels are all-powerful. Desire of Ages, page 700. What a gift God the Father has bestowed on mankind. What help he extends to lost souls who desire to live the better life. I believe that, the, that next to God's great gift, the Son, 
the next greatest gift to us has been the gift of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who is directing in person the myriads of angels who only wait our call for divine aid to overcome every sin so we may be sealed, ready to meet Jesus when he comes. Let us pray. Thank you, dear God, our Father, for the precious gift of Jesus and thy Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who with his angels is able to prepare us for the soon coming of thy Son. With praise and gratitude, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.